Welcome to Stock Stories, episode 99. Welcome. Welcome to the show. This is the Stock Stories Podcast. My name is Alex and I am your host and stock storyteller for today. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast dedicated to helping you, the individual investor, make better investing decisions. And we do that primarily by looking at case studies of real companies as well as looking at mental models. And combining those two, we can create a better picture of how we should invest. And I just love doing the show because we get to learn so many new things. We get to learn about companies that are out there in the real world today. And one of my goals for this podcast is for us to go on this journey where we look at and understand the business models of every single company in the S&P 500. That's one of my goals for this podcast. And we're making progress. Here we are, episode 99, going through companies. And for those of you who have been on this journey with me since uh, since the beginning or near the beginning, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your support. And I hope you've been having fun. I hope you've been having fun and learning a lot with me as we go through these companies. And yeah, here we are at episode 99. So let's just get into it. We're going to talk about another company. We're going to talk about a company in the healthcare field. Let's talk about Baxter International. Baxter International, ticker symbol BAX. So Baxter is a company that is a large healthcare company based here in the United States, but it really is an international company based on where it sells its products and it's, it sells products all over the world. They basically sell medical equipment. They sell different types of fluids, tools, pumps, those kinds of things. It's a healthcare company that focuses on products to treat things like hemophilia, kidney disease, immune disorders, and all sorts of other medical conditions. Now, the reason this company came across my mind was I actually recently had a chance to attend a lecture by one of the former CEOs of Baxter International, and he didn't talk about the company at all. Like I said, former CEO but he seemed like a pretty interesting guy. And I thought, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll look into that company. And sure enough, it's a member of the S&P 500. It's a large established corporation, American corporation, and it has a lot of history behind it. So let's find out where Baxter came from. How did it start? Well, it started by making bioscience and medical products. Back in the early 30s, 1931 to be exact, it was founded by a man named Donald Baxter. And this was a guy who was a doctor. He was a regular doctor out in LA. 
and he wanted to bring medical products to the Midwest. He saw that there was a lack of products in this region of the country. So he decided to establish a manufacturing plant in Glenview, Illinois, started making a few medical products. And a few years later, was bought out by an investor, but the company maintained the Baxter name even until this day. And here are some of the key innovations of this company. I was kind of surprised because even though I had never really heard of Baxter before, I certainly heard of some of their innovations. So one of the things that they did was they invented a vacuum collection container that ended up increasing the shelf life of blood from hours to weeks, which is a huge innovation. I mean, think about blood transfusions. Think about how, how important it is to be able to store and use blood. Uh, there are so many people out there that need, need blood of a certain type and they need it to be stored and they need it to be sterile. But that was impossible back before the 40s, really. If you stored blood, it was really only good for a few hours, and then you couldn't use it anymore. So this vacuum collection container was a big innovation. And then kind of in that vein, in 1941, Baxter invented the plasma vac container. And this container allowed the plasma of the blood to be separated from the blood itself. So there are different components of a blood sample if you were to take a blood sample and you're able to do more with it if, you're, if you can separate out the plasma. So that was another important invention. And then in 1956, they invented the first artificial kidney, quote unquote artificial kidney. It was not what you might imagine. It was some wood planks and some some jars and it was it was very rudimentary as far as the way it was constructed but it effectively created this field of dialysis so dialysis it was not really possible before this but uh, but Baxter they basically been at the forefront of a lot of medical innovations in the United States for a very long time and so that's how they grew their business they grew it through innovation creating new products that they saw patients needed, that they saw hospitals needed, and they just expanded rapidly over time. They made acquisitions, they expanded overseas, and they kept doing a lot of interesting things. So one of the other interesting products that they've made was that in 1970, they invented the first flexible IV container, which You think about now, like if you were to walk into a doctor's office or a clinic or a hospital, you see IV bags everywhere. And this is something that I probably would take for granted. Honestly, it's, you know, a bag of saline or some other fluid. And yeah, oh, of course it's flexible. It's a plastic bag. Yeah, why not? But before Baxter invented this flexible IV container, it didn't exist. (laughs) IV had to be stored in different ways. So they've really focused on innovating and and making life easier for not just the patients, but the people around the patients, which is what I like. It's they serve people at different points within the healthcare system. And they kept, so Baxter kept diversifying their product lines 
and they started producing vaccines and other blood products throughout the 80s and the 90s. And in 1985 in particular, they merged with a company called American Hospital Supply Corporation. Now, this was an important merger for the company because when they did this, they they sold so many different types of products that they were able to supply around 70 to 80% of the products that a hospital would require. So they're like kind of the full service medical provider for hospitals. And their business model has really always been based around providing a wide array of products to people that need it. Now, they had some issues. Now, in the 90s, they had to make some settlements because <laughs> there were some doctors getting kickbacks for pushing their products. Um, so there are some legal issues there, um, some unethical behavior. But at the end of the day, um, this was kind of isolated, and they ended up settling all of those disputes uh, a couple decades ago. Now, fast forward over to 2014, they ended up selling their vaccine business to Pfizer, so the large pharmaceutical company, Pfizer. And then in 2015, this was a really big uh, spinoff. So they spun off the biopharmaceutical division of their company, and they called it Baxalta. So they they spun off Baxalta to shareholders, but Baxalta was subsequently bought out by a company called Shire in 2016 for over $32 billion. And then this company, Shire, was bought out by a Japanese firm just recently in 2019. So as we've come to expect with these episodes, companies, they tend to get passed around. <laughs> they, they get combined, they get split off, they get bought out, and then they get split off again. It's just the, the endless cycle of corporate restructuring. But the important thing for us as investors when looking at Baxter is, okay, they spun off Baxalta, but how did that impact the business? And this ends up being what I found to be in my research a really key part of Baxter's story because this spinoff was really only just a few years ago and it's definitely impacted the size of the corporation and what they've been able to do with their capital. So when Baxter sold off Baxalta, what do they do with the money? Well, they use a lot of money to pay off debt. So they paid off over $3.5 billion in debt, and they ended up buying back some stock. They bought back about 11 million shares, which is not a massive number of shares, but it's something. And so, yeah, they were pretty responsible with this cash, I would say, in, in my opinion. You know, the company grew a lot smaller or noticeably smaller because of that transaction. And so they decided to clean up some of their liabilities, which is not a bad choice. So that's the history of the firm. Now, what about the business itself? What do they really do now? Now, according to their language, they call themselves the quote unquote building blocks of healthcare, or they say that they sell the building blocks of healthcare. And their business is divided into six segments renal care, medication delivery, pharmaceuticals, clinical nutrition, advanced surgery, and acute therapies. Now, really 80% of the sales, they really just come from three of these segments. So those first three of renal care, medication delivery, and pharmaceuticals, those three segments are the bread and butter of the business. 
And these products, I mean, they're used by hospitals, doctor's offices, dialysis centers, and nursing homes. So you can find Baxter's products in all of these places. And specifically, they make things like pumps. They make containers, just like back in the day when they were inventing that plasma vat container. They make syringes, filters, dialysis tools, medical fluids, and chemicals. They make all different types of medical products to this day. And so doctors use them, surgeons use them, nurses use them. They're, they're all over the place. So this truly is a diversified medical product provider. Um, and the thing that is interesting about the scope of this business is it's, it's a pretty big business. They manufacture their products in over 20 countries and they sell them in over 100 countries. So this really is a company that is truly uh, your typical multinational corporation. They're all over the globe and they have over, over 50,000 employees. Now, as far as the breakdown of the revenue, they are truly multinational as well in the sense that most of the revenue is generated outside of the country. So as of the most recent data that I saw, over 58% of the revenue is generated outside of the U.S. So that's interesting. Now let's look a little bit at the financials of this business. Now when looking at the financials, I'll admit that I was a little thrown off because I typically like to look at a snapshot of several years of data. So I looked at data from the year 2018, so this past year, as well as 2011. And then I I typically try to compare those two to see what the trends are. But when I did that for Baxter, uh, most of the numbers were going down because, and that's because of the spinoff in 2016 or in 2015, rather, of Bexalta. They ended up lowering a lot of their numbers because that was a, a, a decent chunk of their business that they got rid of. So, for example, their sales in 2011, it was just under $14 billion. Well, in 2018, it was just over $11 billion. So a decrease in sales, actually. But if we were to look at the data for 2017, 2016, so those couple of years, the sales have been creeping up slowly from the $10 billion level. So sales have been growing in the past couple of years at a couple percent annually per year. Uh, Nothing really to write home about. This is definitely a slow-growing company, to be honest. So just keep that in mind. And the same trends go for the net income. So the net income in 2011 was just over $2 billion. And in 2018, it was just over $1.5 billion. But keep in mind that the business shrunk during this time. And then now is going through a process where it's now growing again. So as far as the earnings go, the business made $2.97 this past year. So... Yeah, as far as the balance sheet goes, um, they have an okay amount of cash. Uh, nothing, not a lot to be honest. Just under two billion dollars. Um, and then, as far as their debt, this is where things things got better for sure. In 2011, they had just under five billion dollars in debt, whereas now they have just about three and a half billion dollars. So they definitely clean up their debt load. They use some of the money from the from the spinoff to to buy uh, to pay off their creditors, and 
as far as the cash flow statement goes, uh, again, similar story. They, it looks like they've shrunk over time, but they have been slowly building back up. But don't get me wrong. This is not a fast-growing business. Their operating cash flow in 2018 was about $2 billion. And as far as their financing cash, it was a little over $2.5 billion. So if we're just to look at that year's data, they're using more than 100% of the operating cash flow of their business to basically buy back stock. So virtually all of that $2.5 million in financing cash in 2018 went towards share buybacks. And so when I saw that, I was thinking, okay, well, this business must have a pretty strong total return component because of those share buybacks, but eh, not really. When I looked at the long-term trends, the business hasn't really taken that many shares off the table. So in 2011, they had over 570 million shares of stock outstanding. At the end of 2018, they had just over 540 million shares outstanding. So that's a decrease of only about 30 million shares over a seven-year period, even though they bought back 11 million of those shares as part of the uh, the Baxalta spinoff. Uh, even in recent years, it, it, they're not really uh, moving the needle that much as far as share buybacks. So I don't really consider that much as far as a component in the total return. Now, with dividends, I think it's interesting because in 2011, the company spent just over $700 million in dividends, whereas in 2018, they spent about $370 million in dividends. So their dividend uh, obligation to shareholders has decreased substantially. But again, this is because of that spinoff. They just don't have as many shareholders to, to pay out to. But if we were to look at the dividend history over just the last couple of years since that time, in 2016, the dividend per share was about 50 cents per share. And now that's risen to 73 cents per share in 2018. So this is a 20% annual growth rate over the past couple of years of the dividend. So basically now Baxter International, the management's allocating capital more towards dividends. So trying to boost that payout to shareholders up as well as basically maintain the share count, if anything, um, while kind of growing at a slower pace, but, but steady pace. I mean, this is already a massive business. So it's a little hard to see the long-term trends for this business because of the Baxalta spinoff, but it is, it is, uh, we can deduce that it is still a solid business going forward and things look okay, but this is a slow growing company and there's nothing really too special about the financials. I think one of the highlights is that the debt has been kept in check over the last couple of years, which is unusual for large multinational companies that we've studied on this podcast, right? Um, And then also the dividend uh, picture is getting better. They're paying out more and more money to shareholders ever since that Baxalta split. So those are the general basics on Baxter. Now let's talk briefly about valuation. So right now, Baxter International shares are trading at around $83 per share. And with the current earnings per share of just under $3 a share, it's got a P.E. ratio in the high 20s. Um, So that's a little bit rich, especially for a company that 
you know, it's not really growing that fast. It's already quite a large company. So the dividend yield right now for this company is one about 1%. And I would not expect a huge return from share buybacks. Maybe, you know, maybe 1% or 2% here and there. Um, and then as far as earnings growth, it's, it's kind of hard to say. There's not a lot of recent data to go off of, just a couple of years of earnings data from the past couple of years. But ah, I, I would expect this investment at this price to grow in the low to mid single digits. I really, I really don't think it's going to beat inflation that much over the medium term. Now, over the long term, I do think that Baxalta is certainly the type of business that could generate high single-digit returns for its shareholders, for sure. And the reason that I think that is because they have solid cash flows. They're, they sell in an industry that's highly regulated, and they're, they've been a front-runner for many years. They have a lot of products that are used across the world, so they're very diversified geographically, and as far as in terms of the different types of products that they sell, um, I think they're pretty stable. This is, I would consider this to be a classic stalwart company, but albeit one that, ah, well, maybe it's more of a slow grower, uh, a classic slow growing company that it just kind of be kind of slow and steady. I mean, if the valuation was 15 times earnings, it would be a lot more interesting, but geez, I mean, paying in the high, 20s as far as PE ratio for business this large and growing this slowly, uh, I would not. I would not take that as a high probability investment for expecting high, high returns. So that's all I'll say about that. But nonetheless, uh, Baxter is a strong business, and yeah, I think it's worth watching, especially if they develop any breakthrough new products or have any significant growth drivers for the future. I didn't see any really big significant growth drivers when I was researching them, uh, but maybe that's just something that I missed. So yeah, just something to watch for the future. All right, that's what I've got for you today. Thank you so much for listening to the Stock Stories podcast. Again, my name is Alex. I am your host and stock storyteller. Thank you for tuning in. If you want to get in touch with me, feel free to email me at alex at stockstoriespodcast.com or hit me up on Instagram at stockstoryteller. That's stockstoryteller. So, and also, yeah, let me know if you have any suggestions um, for episodes or just things that you are struggling with. I want to learn what you need help with as an investor. What are some of the things that that you're struggling with? Are you struggling with security analysis or putting together a portfolio or maybe you're a beginner and you just are trying to learn about this whole investing thing in general. Send me a message, send me a DM on Instagram at stock storyteller and let me know uh, what you're struggling with. All right, we'll see you next week. information presented here on Stock Stories is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. You and you alone are responsible for your investment and financial decisions. 
please consult an appropriate tax, legal, or financial advisor that can analyze your specific situation in the context of your goals and circumstances.